Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host today, Kami Robbie, and joined by, I think it's our first time podcasting together, Alan. I think it is, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I believe so. It's 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 good to have you on the podcast, because I know you podcast with us at CC Machine, but we never really linked up, so it's just, it's uh you know, it's just good to see you. It's good, it's good to actually see your face for the first time. Alan, it's a, Alan, by the way, is the smartest guy at CC Machine. <laughs> that, he's a graduate of Northwestern, uh, <laughs> and he's just like the most brilliant mind in the world. So that's uh, that's very that's that's a, a huge. I mean, I'm pretty fucking smart, but you know, <laughs> that's a that's a huge overstatement. You know, <laughs> so it's good to it's good to have you on. But man, let's talk about this game. Uh, yeah, the, 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 atten- the, the attendance, yeah. the attendance, like Rick, like Brent Venables challenged pretty much everybody in the state of Oklahoma to show up and they did not have enough people working the gates. So the game is starting and there's roughly like you look around, there's like 50, 60,000 people in the stadium, maybe. And you could look over the edge or like you could tell, you knew people, they were still on the outside on the gates. And then of course they came out and said about 75,000 people showed up to the spring game, which is unheard of, especially, I mean, like in my lifetime, I mean, like you, you would, it would be like, it would be like a nice day outside. You have a lot of people show up, but it would be nothing in comparison to like what you would see at other at universities. So it was just a very, very different atmosphere and vibe. Venable spoke to the crowd twice with the mic, which I <laughs> yeah. thought was really interesting. So what's kind of like your take on that? Like the atmosphere is super different. Venable speaking to the crowd at the beginning of the game, speaking into the, to the crowd at like halftime and even like at the end of the game. What were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, when it comes to the Venable stuff, I felt like he, uh, you know what, man? Like they... I think that they kind of uh, took the temperature of the fan base in general and uh, things around the program and decided that OU and the fans really needed an event like this. And they did their best to make it an event. I mean, so much about what went on yesterday had nothing to do with anything going on on the football field, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the story was how many people were there 
and also, you know, the opportunity, I mean, Baker Mayfield, you know, uh, the opportunity to uh, celebrate his OU career and all that stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. those were the big stories. There was, you know, those kind of really were, you know, kind of overshadowed anything that happened during the, during the uh, spring game. Um, so, I, I mean, like, but it's also kind of like the impression I got was like, that's what OU needed. And, you know, the stuff like bringing out the former players for the game, I, that that was like hitting all the right notes, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was really, really interesting because they brought everybody back from all kinds of generations and decades of senior excellence and just reiterating, reiterating to the people and to the people at the game and their crews at the game and everybody else that and the players are the ones that make the program and not just one person, uh, which they have been reiterating that kind of rhetoric since <laughs> Riley left, right? And yeah, I, I think it, again, it was like you said, taking the temperature, like the fan base and it was, they were just totally down and it was a total culture shift. And once, you know, Brent Venables essentially just challenges you, like we need everybody here, like in the SEC, like you can't just gripe at people for standing up during games. You need to actually <laughs> show up to the games and actually be loud because it's not just the players in the field that affect it, but I mean, you get a 2008 OU Texas Tech, the fans there that were there, they affected that game greatly. If you talk to Mike Leach and Graham Harrell and everybody else that were involved in that game. And so I think it showed, again, the kind of resilience that the fan base is like really kind of like rallying around along with the players, too. And I think I thought it was really I thought it was really neat. Again, I just it was just wild to see the stands keep on getting filling filled up and getting texts from friends that were like hey we're just getting into the game yeah it's halfway through the first quarter and they're like we can't find seats it's the, the lower bowl is filled they're having to go to the upper deck and and there were a lot of recruits there and they got the the full oklahoma experience i mean they got to go to the game and then there were like five tornadoes right after <laughs> near like oklahoma and there were tornado sirens going off and in, in cleveland county like while people are driving home because it felt like game day traffic because mm -hmm. there's so many people there. And so there are so many people stuck in traffic with tornado sirens going off, which I think is so, so Oklahoma. So, yeah, they get the full Oklahoma experience. It was nice out. There was really, I mean, let me get your opinion on this. I know it's a spring game. We And we do this every year, especially when there's a new quarterback about, about to take the helm at OU. What's your first, uh, what are your opinions on Dylan Gabriel? Because I imagine... We've looked at, you know, his film from you know, UCF. You, you're, you know what he's kind of able to do. You know his capabilities. A uh, guy kind of throws darts. He's a lefty. Um, he's uh, obviously uh, appeared in Jeff Levy's system once uh, before he broke his – and then he had other opportunities with other coaches. Broke his collarbone last year very early on to the season on a run play. Um, and through those like 40 mile hour winds that were swirling around in the stadium, what's kind of your first impression of that public appearance? Because, I mean, you can practice as all as all get out and you can show how immaculate you are and how talented you are through practice. But you go to a spring game and a spring game that isn't 30,000 people or 20 something thousand people. It's almost a full stadium and you provide almost a game like a real game like like atmosphere and so what are your first impressions of gabriel as the sooners next starting qb going into the fall oh i mean i think it's gotta be pretty pretty strong um i felt like 
the thing, one of the things that I always try to watch in a spring game setting, because, you know, you never know exactly how things are being called or set up, what mm. they're doing. Um, I try to just kind of just look overall at like a quarterback's demeanor, like how comfortable does he look out there? How are players responding to him? That type of thing. You know, you've seen, I've seen players in the past, you know, out there and they're all over the place frenetic, you know, that was, I mean, Gabriel was like the exact opposite of that. He looked very much in control the whole time, which was, um, you know, I thought a very good sign. Uh, you know, there were a few times when, uh, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what happened on the interception, if that was a matter of uh, miscommunication or mm-hmm. perhaps, uh, you know, uh, I believe this, I believe the pass was intended for Jill Farouk and it's possible that it was just, he, he might've misplayed it also. The wind was such a factor too yesterday. I mean, it looked like it was just whipping out there. So that's really going to mess with a, uh, with a quarterback's, you know, just overall kind of composure or timing. Um, but no, I mean, all in all, I thought he had a great day. Like I thought he really looked solid and I felt pretty good about at least the, uh, the first line on the depth chart going forward at quarterback. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I felt like after, after the first quarter, pretty much, I think I tweeted out something to the effect of, I feel pretty comfortable with what I've seen regarding Dylan Gabriel. Like you said, he held his composure. Well, I mean, he put the ball right on guys' hands and right on their numbers for the most part. I mean, heck, some some of the some of the incompletions were just straight drops yeah. where it hit guys in the hands, and and like not only were they hitting guys in hands, hitting guys in the hands while they were in stride. Like the, there were like a couple to like Jalou Farouk and Marvin Mims, just right through the hands, and, and Jalen uh, J- uh, Gibson, mm. um, and of, of course, then he made up for it later on with a ninety-five yard touchdown. <laughs> The touchdown reception, of course, right over the middle. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought he did well. I, I it, it was what I expected. It was it was what he's kind of was advertised as a guy that if he he can roll out a little a little bit, he's mobile. I mean, I'm a little upset that they took that touchdown away from him because he was <laughs> definitely going to score, and Noah Renze was not going to catch him. Um, but a guy that when he has time can throw the ball well can whip it out there can get it on in between the numbers um and but also a guy that you know it, that needs a little bit of work i mean it's very clear like you said earlier there are some balls that he would like to have back uh, mm-hmm. i imagine the interception one of the other ones that was in the end zone uh where Jalil fruit could have fought for the ball a little bit more and that's just a learning curve thing that he's still young um and then you know just a couple other balls but just in like we're I think one of them was he was in trouble. The offensive line kind of collapsed a little bit and he just pitched it to the first person in front of him, which I think was Javante Barnes, if I remember correctly. Right. But that was he a third had, down. Yeah. yeah, I think he had Trayvon West just running in the second level, just like wide open. That would have been like a 40 yard gain. But other than that, I saw what I needed to see and I felt pretty comfortable. I thought, I think he's going to be more than serviceable. Of course, is he going to be like, the talented Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, yada, yada. No, but it, do I think he's a more of a talented passer than Jalen Hurts? I would say yes. And I think that bodes well for what Jeff Lubby is going to do with Oklahoma's offense. I mean, he likes mobile quarterbacks. Pretty much everything is a is an RPO. Uh, and so he has a lot of options on a lot of plays. And as you can tell, even in the spring game, wearing a blue jersey, the dude's not afraid to run, uh, which, which I liked as well. Um, the players acknowledge this and the practice in specifically the spring game 
it, you could definitely hear the pads popping way more than it seemed like in previous years. And I'm talking like not the not just the Riley era, even the end of the Stoops era where the pads just weren't popping as loud. It, the thing, the the game wasn't as physical. The practices, of course, notes out of practice suggest that things are far more physical than they used to be. Of course, that helps when you have a hard-nosed coach like Brent Venables that brings back Jerry Schmidt. Um, what does this that what does that tell you about this team kind of going forward with Brent Venables at the helm regarding how physical they're being and how the players are even talking about how much more physical they've been being in comparison to the previous regime that they were under? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be something that necessarily follows through from year to year to year. But it's probably clear from Venable's assessment, this is what this team needs. I mean, you know, OU has been physical in some aspects of the way they've played, you know, uh, some of the running game, for example. But no one would say that this is just a, a knockdown drag about team the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think that it's just I think it's probably just a very intentional way of of expressing to him like this is how we're going to be doing things going forward this is how you need to be playing you know i mean uh you even saw it yesterday where there were some there were a few hits out there that were very uh uncommon for a a spring scrimmage type setting Mm -hmm. um i i I mean i think that uh you know there's there obviously there's always going to be a balance here but clearly something about the culture and uh, the practice habits uh, that, you know, Venables was inheriting. He felt like he needed to make a change that in that direction. And, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, so far, everybody seems to be kind of uh, adjusting and, you know, reacting pretty well to it. Do you think that with this new emphasis on being physical, uh, with this new emphasis on being more disciplined and especially more disciplined, like you, that's that, that's the word that Venables always brings up is discipline, 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 discipline. Do you think that these factors that he's really, really hinging on besides of course, you know, learning new schemes on offense and defense, do you think that that's something that will make fans less, I don't want to use the word anxious, but make fans think less when they're facing uh, when when the Sooners are facing teams such as Baylor, such as Iowa State, uh, and other teams that are notably, especially Kansas State, other teams that have been notably physical with OU in the past. And prior to the game, you would think to yourself, "Is OU going to be able to punch back? Are they going to match their physicality? Are they going to go above and go, you know, punish, dish out the punishment?" Do you think that makes fans or feel more comfortable knowing that Brent Venables is leading that charge and is putting the emphasis on being more physical and being more disciplined? Yeah, you know, that's a question that I can't really answer until I actually see Brent Venables coach a real game. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I'm I I mean I'm with you in the sense that uh the past few seasons it's been clear that teams in the Big 12 have decided that the idea of playing a wide open kind of, uh, you know, air raid type of game wasn't working to their benefit in large part because they needed some type of, you know, kind of curveball or something to throw with OU being essentially kind of mastering that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
you know, the idea that uh, they were going to come in and try to really just wear and lean on OU and, you know, you saw a lot of teams playing bigger personnel, Iowa State being uh, maybe the best example of that. Um, you know, you saw a lot of teams using tempo as a way in a, cer- in a certain sense to, um, you know, not necessarily playing slow, but also, you know, kind of using it more as a way to um, maintain control of the ball and actually kind of bleed clock at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw teams that, you know, went back to emphasizing the run game. I mean, goodness, Oklahoma State's offense last year, uh, you know, I mean, if they weren't able to run it, uh, I mean, there would they had really nothing to fall back on. Ended up, you know, playing for the conference championship. I, I just feel like in that sense, yeah, you won't be able to just, say okay our game plan this time around is we're just going to ball control low you and try to uh, out tough them like it'll they'll if they want to beat OU now they're going to have to go a different direction and that's what that's what reminded me about all those former players that Brent Venables made like he made them go to the 50 yard line lineups they could take a picture and all that stuff and that was that was what they were talking about all last year if they had twitter accounts or their facebook accounts or just whatever saying that teams never ever used to try to do this to OU and like they never ever tried to tried to go horizontal on OU and sideline to sideline and now that teams turn teams aren't afraid of going in for fourth down on OU and teams are more apt to go right at them instead of having to go sideline to sideline because when teams in the past just try, used to try to go at, try to go right at OU north and south it wasn't a thing and so it just reminded me of those sort of certain things. And I think it's important to acknowledge. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated. And you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. Um, what's something that you really liked about what you saw at the spring game other than Dylan Gabriel that you saw what you needed to see so far? Because in my opinion, there wasn't much to like on the playing field. There wasn't a ton after rewatching it. There wasn't a ton to like really, really, really brag home about other than a couple of plays here and there that were impressive. Uh, But was there anything that you in particular liked what you saw regarding the spring game? Huh? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I can come up with a few, obviously, I mean, spring game, I kind of look for like flashes. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing maybe what, uh, you know, an opportunity to kind of catch one guy in a specific matchup, see how he responds. Uh, but, you know, I think, I guess, from like the 10,000 foot view, I liked a lot what I saw of Javante Barnes. I think if Gabriel wasn't the story yesterday, I think Barnes was. Um, 
I think that his physical running style, the way he, uh, you know, kind of held up, uh, all that made me think that he can be a contributor right away. Um, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a rotation back from the start, but um, it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't shock me. And I'm assuming that by the end of the season, you know, he'll be one of the guys that's getting uh, quite a few carries, uh, if not the bulk of them. Um, and then the other, the other thing, I thought that the defensive line was a lot stronger than I expected. I mean, I expected OU to have a solid defensive front this year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, I felt like they really controlled the action in the trenches. And, uh, you know, the pass rush especially looked a lot stronger than I expected. Yeah, and Javante Barnes is something that S- Stephen has been on. Uh, on his, Stephen has been saying exactly what you just said that you know he may be like a one one a one b kind of back in the beginning of the season, but he could see Javante Barnes taking over toward the end of the season. Javante Barnes and and like tell me to pump the brakes if you think this is not accurate. He gives me some serious shades or vibes of young young like first year Trey Sermon where the man just like runs, keeps on churning his legs, very physical brain in football is a guy that you can use on third downs and a guy realistically that you're going to want to lean on teams with when it comes to like later rounds of the games in the third and fourth quarter. Do you think like, do you think that assessment's fair? Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he didn't strike me as the kind of guy. I mean, you look at Eric Gray, for example, and with his skills, you know, kind of receiving the ball, that's a guy that, you know, at times you're going to want to motion out maybe to get like an empty look, you know, you're not going to be doing that with Barnes necessarily. He's more of your uh, traditional featured running back with, you know, kind of sets uh, running him out of maybe like a pistol look, that type of thing. But yeah, in terms of late game physicality, willing to run guys over, um, kind of the closer like they've had in the past few years, past tried to do past few years, he certainly could fill that role. And I, I totally agree. That was going to be my my next my next thing about what you said was going to be something I mentioned too, the, the pass rush, especially the defensive ends, they were getting to Gabriel, uh, I would say not often, but they were very opportunistic and had several chances and, and did get to Gabriel several times, uh, but it wasn't a means of every down. Of course, they rotated so many bodies on the offensive line throughout the entire game. I mean, guys that were probably on the third team, walk-on scout team guys, so like it's hard to gauge there again yeah. like that's that's what's why you say you know like it's hard to really say until they actually play a real game uh until they play utep but yeah i i noticed that there were just guys getting around the end specifically uh on the strong side of the offensive line near the right tackle uh but again they were just shuffling in a ton of bodies i really liked uh from what i saw i was really impressed i was really impressed excuse me by some of these second and third teamer guys, uh, that guys that you know that have been talked about at a camp, like Kendall Dennis, uh, I think that's a guy that has been mentioned several times, and he, of course, he's the one that just so happens to come away with the interception uh, that was convenient. Uh, I, you know, yeah, you have to like what with Kenai Walker, um, a guy that was added and kind of like added just silently, as if like it wasn't a big signing, but as soon as he got to Oklahoma, was really turning around heads and. He gets to Oklahoma and people start to think, hey, he might be a guy that kind of supplants uh, DJ Graham and plays opposite side of Woody Washington just because of how big physical he is. may not be as fast or have the one-handed catching uh, abilities that uh, uh, DJ Graham does, but 
he's the kind of guy that plays the brand of football that Brent wants to play in, in that defensive secondary. So those are kind of things I saw that I really liked. But on the flip side of that, though, what are some things that you still have are questions and or concerns uh, about this team from when we saw the spring game that you imagine you would want ironed out in the summer and then going on into the fall? I mean, for me, my easy number one is the backup quarterback situation um, because OU just doesn't have much depth there um, with, you know, everything that's happened through the transfer portal and everything. Um, You know, I mean, Evers definitely needs time to get uh, into the swing of things. Um, You you mean you don't trust Ralph Rucker? (laughs) <laughs> you know, man, uh, if, if, if Ralph's moment comes, you know, best of luck to him, but you know, you got, uh, a guy like Gabriel, right. Who, um, I feel good about as the first team guy, but he also missed almost all of last season. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a, that's trouble. I've got to think that they're going to be really hitting the portal hard, um, these next few weeks to see if any kind of, uh, you know, players decide they're not happy with how things are going in, in spring. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a quarterback battle, for example, going on at uh, Ole Miss right now where Jackson Dart coming there from USC seems like a guy that, uh, you know, with uh, Luke Altmyer there, maybe he might decide he wants to go back with Jeff Levy, who was his offensive quarter last year. So mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, you might see some action there, but that's just me speculating. I haven't heard anything about that. Um so, the, you know, but yeah, back of quarterback is number one. And then, you know, you mentioned uh, the offensive line. It's really hard to get a good gauge when, first of all, you're splitting up, uh, you know, starters or for guys who you expect mm-hmm. to be first team. So hard to tell about the chemistry, uh, you know, the third string center issue. I mean, you know, pardon me, the backup centers with Andrew Rame not participating. That's another issue where. Uh, it's just hard to get a feel for that, that side, that part of the team. But um, yeah, those would be my, my two that really stuck out to me. And I, I had the same questions, of course, like QB stuff, Venables, he went out out of his way to really discuss like, Hey, yeah, after, after this semester, the spring, the, the portal is going to be hit and it's going to be something that they're looking at for quarterbacks in particular, because I mean, you don't really want to walk into the season with your, backup being Ralph Rucker, then it being Nick Evers and Micah Bowens, wherever he is on the depth chart. I don't like you don't even see Micah Bowens on the depth chart, even though he's a scholarship player, which is (laughs) kind of odd to think about. Um, But yeah, questions. My main question is the offensive line. I mean, just because of the last two years in particular, they haven't been as physical. They haven't been able to run the ball as much as they would want to. And of course, I mean, you lost, you went from having, a decent interior with, you know, Marquise Hayes and, and Robinson and 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 Rame slash Con, Conjol. And I don't even know who's still going to start at center. Uh, but then you lose your interior with the exception of the center. And now you have guys returning, a ton of guys returning at tackle. Um, so like Wanya Morris is a guy. Aaron Parks is a guy. And there's several more. Uh, Nate Anderson is getting reps at center instead of at tackle or guard, even though he was recruited, I think, as a tackle originally. So in like and of course, uh, transferring Tyler Guyton. Uh, but the, the 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 trenches in general are my big question mark uh, on both sides of the ball. 
because in, in the, and they were the groups, both of those groups were the ones that stayed on the field the longest. Uh, like a lot of the starters, the quarterback, wide receivers, uh, running backs, all the, all the skill positions, they like first, second stringers, those guys were sitting out from the majority of the second half. You had the guys in the trenches still rotating pretty much yeah. the entire game. Um, and I don't know how many people noticed that, but it was certainly noticeable to me that you're still seeing. I was like, I'm still seeing Jalen Redmond in the third yeah. quarter. That's really odd to me. And like, I'm still seeing Ethan Downs playing the entire damn game. That really stood out to me. And so that really showed me what maybe the staff is trying to get accomplished as well, for being quite honest. And so you alluded to it. I mean, Oklahoma going to hit the transfer portal, uh, especially the QB. Are there any other areas that you'd like to bolster in certain units? Like, for example, I mean, like, Tawee Walker, you know, that uh, the Juca running back that people kind of, like, fell in love with briefly before he fumbled at the goal line. Um, that's always fun. I mean, like, you know, that happens every year. There's always that love story of a guy that comes out of nowhere and captures people's hearts in the spring game, and then you don't really see them during the regular season. Um, what other groups that other than quarterback would you be intrigued by and really kind of want Oklahoma to go after uh, position wise through the portal? Because there are more than just quarterbacks. I think, I think they need to maybe go after another wide receiver, maybe, uh, maybe another running back or something like that, but more groups than just a quarterback. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, if I had a wish list, I think that uh, running back would certainly be on there. Um, we didn't even see Marcus major yesterday, so right. who knows, uh, you know, how he's holding up health wise. Um, you know, uh, again, relying on a freshman like Barnes, I think could be really good, but I, I mean, that's a, that's a different kind of transition in your first year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Eric Gray, I haven't heard anything about him having any injury problems, but still you want another guy. I mean, I realize they're getting Gavin Sawchuck uh, in the summer, you know, another freshman runner, but if there was somebody out there who decided to go look somewhere else, that would be uh, kind of, that would certainly be one position where I'd be looking, I guess, you know, you can never have too many pass rushers. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe something like, maybe something like that. Uh, although it feels like they took so many transfers in on the defensive side of the ball, um, for the season that a lot of those spots I feel like are probably full at this point. Yeah. I, especially a defensive back because, oh man, they, it feels like they had so many come in, but what CJ called on from Wyoming. Trey and he's Morrison. not even there yet. He's not even there yet. Yeah. Trey Morrison, yeah. North Carolina. Can I Walker from Louisville? Um, and yeah, there's that defensive back, that defensive backfield room. I is like super full. I mean, I agree with the running backs. I, I still think like, like, of course, it's hard to gauge because like you said earlier, they were split. They're the talents were split on the red and white team. So like one team, I think, of course, had an unfair advantage where you had Theo Weiss and Marvin Mims on yeah. the same team. I was like, OK, that's kind of not fair because <laughs> yeah. on the other side, you have guys like Brian Darby or not and, and Drake Stoops if, and Drake Stoops and Jul- Julio Farouk are your main guys in comparison to Marvin Mims and Theo East, that seemed a little unfair, but then like having to combine them all together, it's like, it's not that bad of wide receiver room. It's definitely serviceable, especially for the big 12, but they could use another experienced guy. Maybe. And it may be a guy that Jeff Lebby's more kind of a, like known for one of those bigger guys, kind of like Justin Brown, that Penn state transfer a while mm-hmm. back. 
uh, a body type and a guy like that, I think would really fit him well and do him a lot of good. Uh, but yeah, I agree with the running back. Uh, I don't, it's same, it's same situation as a quarterback. You've got a, you've got an experienced group of guys or you got an experienced starter and then you have not a lot after. And so it's like the depth of it. Uh, but yeah, just that's that's something I would do. And then maybe just looking at the trenches, like you said, not, you can never, always use more pass rushers. And also looking at the offensive line, they've taken already Tyler Guyton, but I'm just, it just, that's something that Bill needs to work out over the summer. I mean, yeah. It'll it'll it's it'll be an ongoing thing. I know that they've been practicing much better now than they have two months ago. Uh, but of course, again, you'll have to see what the summer provides and see if it, it bears fruit during the fall. Um, the environment was great. It's like really really good, uh, especially for a spring game. Is there a player that you feel like should be recognized again at the end of every year, at the end of every spring game? There's one player like I remember. Oh, who was that freaking fullback? Oh, uh, uh, Marshall Mar- Musil. Marshall Musil. That's who it was. Yeah. Who got like over a hundred yards on the ground? A guy that isn't necessarily one of the known commodities, but becomes like this spring game all star that deserves recognition. If there was one guy out there that you think deserved that, or maybe like a or or maybe a unit that was out there. So maybe not just one guy, but maybe a unit. Who would you choose and why that deserved recognition just for playing well in the spring game? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's kind of funny. We didn't have that like spring game standout, you know, like you mentioned yeah. Marshall Music. There was a few years ago, you remember, I mean, uh Trey Franks mm. was the guy they brought in who was like this burner at receiver, and he never really mounted much there. And so they decided they were gonna move him to safety, and he played he played his ass off one year in the spring game, and everybody's like, Oh, well, now you know. Oh, you said it's safety now. <laughs> and like yep. he never never saw the field. <laughs> I don't think we'll have I mean, I just I didn't see many guys like that. I thought Joshua Eaton played really well yesterday. Um, you know, he had a particularly kind of flash play there where he uh broke up a slant in the mm-hmm. uh, end zone, saved the touchdown. I thought he he looked pretty good. Um, of course, you know, Jaden Gibson, he had kind of a rough day until he broke that long run. Uh and I mean Goodness, man, he he covered so much ground because he's got that long stride. Um, a guy I thought that I thought played well, um, even if he didn't necessarily come up big on the stat sheet, was Cody Jackson. Um, you know, when he, before he obviously had the health issues uh, in the second half of the year, he had a few times where he really flashed and looked like a player who could contribute. I'm interested to see if he's able to, uh, you know, kind of steal some reps coming into the year. So, you know, Eaton, Cody Jackson, those are those are definitely two that I'd pick. Oh, and then one guy we haven't talked about is uh, Jonah Laulu. I think is how you pronounce mm-hmm. his name. Uh, you know, they brought him in from Hawaii, uh, edge rusher. I thought he looked good um, physically, and you know, I mean, he held up well enough uh, throughout the game. You know, I'm not quite sure if they view him as a pass rusher type or more of kind of a uh, run stuffer there at the end. But I mean. He looked good, and uh, you know, I think that he'll end up being a rotation player this year. Yeah, I I, th- I thought Jonah looked good, especially at the especially at the end of the game. He didn't receive, didn't he didn't really pop and really see too many reps at the beginning of the game. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with your theme of wide receivers in particular. I know Julio Farouk had a few drops to start the game, but as the game went on, I thought he played a pretty solid game. Um, 
of course, that pass breakup that Eaton had was with Jaleel Farouk on that slant. Yeah. And all Jaleel needs to do really to really go and compete for that ball and probably get a touchdown from Dylan Gabriel is just fight for the ball a little bit more. He is the appears to be the most physical and most and most well-built wide receiver that Oklahoma has. And so him just working his way back to the ball, I think would just have been beneficial. And that's just a learning curve thing for him because he's still young. So is Joshua Eden. They're still young. So I thought Farouk did pretty well. Um, he's a guy that I think kind of stood out, especially as the game went on because they just wanted to get the young guys more reps. And of course you can't say you can't, you can't go anywhere without saying to we Walker, despite the fact that, you know, like, you know, he fumbled at the goal line, but he ends up getting his touchdown later on in the game anyways. And he's like this kind of, he's kind of like this mini package Juco version of Samaji Pirine, where yeah. the guy's just going to try to like, you know, cover the ball, try to truck you and run you over despite yeah. how not big he is. But again, Samaji Pirine also wasn't that big either, but at the same time, well, okay. Samaji, let me, let me re- rephrase that. Samaji Pirine was huge. He just wasn't tall. Yeah. Same thing for Tui Walker. Yeah. Um, he, but Tui Walker isn't as big and nearly as big as Samaje. Uh, but I thought he had a decent game too, especially when OU, like they said, like you said, uh, Gavin Sawchuk made his way to the game in street mm-hmm. clothes. Um, but it was really just Eric Gray, and it was it was it was Eric Gray, and it was um, why did I just blank on his name? And and Barnes. Barnes. Yeah. And so then Tui Walker comes in and he got a ton of reps in the second half, like almost all of them. So yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to say it's, it's hard to not recognize him because of that. And so this is an unfair question, uh, but it's a question that we ask every year after the spring game. What are some of the key takeaways that you got from it? Because I mean, you know, they're the play calling is very vanilla. They're not going to show anything. Guys are still learning lingo of offense and defense. More definitely defense than the offense. The offense is more simplistic to learn than the defense is because how multiple it is. Um, But what are some key takeaways from the spring game competition-wise, especially when you think about the Big 12 and the grander scheme, as when we think about Baylor losing a lot of guys, you think about OSU losing several guys, Iowa State losing like a ton of guys. What, what is your kind of like outlook as of now, even though it's an unfair question to ask because of the spring game, what is your outlook as of now for the Sooners in the Big 12? I thought that what I saw yesterday was really, really promising. Um, you know, normally... You, I try to be pretty measured about spring game stuff, but there was a lot, there was a lot to like. I felt like not just, um, not just like when you step back and look at like the, the grand scheme of things, like, Oh, the offense looked amazing. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like little things. They look like uh, better coached players. They looked more disciplined to me. Um, I think that in terms of, uh, you know, keys or what have you obviously keeping gabriel healthy is going to be very important but i really do feel like ou is going to become more a a a very run-centric team Mm -hmm. uh coming up um which i actually think is a is a good thing uh 
based on the physical advantages that OU should have, you know, over just about everybody else in the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I view that as a good thing. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I, I have a love hate relationship with the, the fat the up-tempo stuff. Um, I mean, they were playing so fast though yesterday, tempo wise, um, worked out, it works out well when you're moving the ball, but they also had a couple three and outs where it's like, they barely, it's like they barely even had time to get three snaps off. Like I was stunned. They even had, you know, that much, uh, got that much off. So, uh, that's going to be another thing to look at, but I mean, all in all, I felt really good about it yesterday. It felt like um, I, I didn't see a ton of standout star. T- there wasn't a lot of star power that you kind of become accustomed to during uh, maybe during uh, the past five years under Lincoln Riley. But like top to bottom, it looked like everybody was just playing better. That was the vibe I got. I got the vibes I got were Oklahoma. The sum of the parts are going to be better than the individual parts. And especially by the end of the year, as they're learning curves, especially with the defense and the language associated with that, with those learning curves being accentuated, uh, I think it's going to be a more disciplined team, a team that's more more well-rounded and a team that is still should in just in general, like you said, they don't have as much star power. I agree. They don't, they just don't. And, but they still have a lot of that depth. I mean, like a lot of that star power that they lost, was from the offense. I mean, the Brent Venables comes in and all those defensive guys know what he's accomplished, especially having the number one defense in the land, like however many years away he was at Clemson and OU fans found out the grass isn't always greener on the other <laughs> side. Yeah. Um, after they kind of booed Brent out of town the first time, <laughs> yeah. uh, then they were like, Oh wow. Being last in defense and, or one of the last in defense in the country isn't really that great, especially when it holds you back from a couple of titles that you had a chance to win. <laughs> um, but you know, like there's, like you said, yeah, not a lot of star power, but it was very clear that they have guys, they have bodies in positions to be successful. And I think to be successful, to compete for a title in the big 12, I mean, like, who else in the Big 12 can really challenge them after this year? Because Iowa State consistently goes out and finds body types, but not necessarily talented body types. It takes them a little bit of year, a year or two to really get those guys going because they're coaching. Uh, Baylor, they lost several guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I'm, I'm never going to downplay Dave Aranda and defense and what they're kind of doing over there. Kansas State is a team that I feel like to watch out for because they're they are just fundamental as heck year in and year out. Texas always has the talent. It's just a means of can they ever figure it out? And within the last since Colt McCoy, the answer has been no. They cannot figure that out. And so I just think, man, look at this Oklahoma team. They still have a lot of depth. The de- the defense still pretty much stayed. They could use some new fresh faces through the portal to kind of like shore up some issues. And so like just take key takeaways. They've got a quarterback that is big 12 worthy. They got a quarterback that is a more talented passer than Jalen hurts, but is more limited in fashions in which Oklahoma seen their quarterbacks from the last several years. They deal. They, they do need, they have needs at other positions like running backs where, you know, we have one experienced guy, but then, you know, Marcus major who only shows up in bowl games for some reason. <laughs> um, and then you have freshmen, you have the offensive line, which is, you know, a work in progress. Um, but they have a lot of bodies to go off of defensive line defensively. I'm not necessarily as worried uh, just because of who they have, but at the same time, 
also a little bit concerned for the three first three four games of the season just as they adjust to what offenses are doing and still learning the defense because again you go from alex grinch who they put in a signal and you look down at your wrist and you read what your one job is and then you go out and try to execute that job whereas brent oh my god like yeah the the um, the the specific blades of grass and specific <laughs> places of uh, places you need to be on the field in order to make his defense work in regards to especially being incredibly disciplined is i think of course and i think that's another another reason why that it's so good that they brought in very very um not uh not responsible very 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 tenured and kind of guys that have already had experience into their program that mm-hmm. you have older guys that ex- that understand lingo that are guys that you can just pick and they have a larger and uh and more decent understanding of defenses where if i take Jaden rowe i mean like the dude's like six foot two 200 <laughs> something pounds he's not going to be able to come in and play right away as whereas at alex grinch's defense you know you have one read you yeah. probably could come in and play right away. And so I'm glad that's why I'm glad that Oklahoma is bringing in that many guys. But I mean, I feel comfortable with this team is that I feel, I feel good about them competing for the big 12. If you were to guess what their ceiling and what their floor is for the amount of wins, what would you think just by viewing from this past Saturday? Oh, I mean, I think their ceiling is, you know, I mean, a, a conference title, um, you know, and I, <laughs> I don't know why a bid to the college football playoff would be out of bounds if that was the case. Um, I, I, I think that I think that's definitely on the table just with the way things break there. Um, I feel like the floor. I mean, you know, it's kind of the kind of thing where, especially if Gabriel gets hurt, who it could, it could, mm-hmm. you know, that part mm-hmm. could drop out. But I mean, like, I don't know. I kind of look at it like if OU just if all things, all things being equal. Like if they don't win like nine games this year, I think I'd be kind of surprised in all honesty. I, I just, uh, I don't know. I feel like they left a lot on the table last season. And, uh, you know, that to a degree is kind of been overlooked in uh, where they could go this year. And, uh, you know, just a lot of it, it, this, this whole kind of restart, I think could, end up being the kind of thing where um you know it gives everybody kind of a spark and on top of that like think about all the teams game planning now for ou there are going to be game plan for things that are completely different from what they've seen in the past uh that's another plus you know for kind of getting that that fresh start so i mean like i said yeah i think i think a floor of like nine wins and i think a ceiling you know of like uh 12 and one type regular season i think that's uh that's probably about how I how I'd look at it. Yeah, I, I keep on thinking. I keep on wrestling back and forth on what the floor is. I I keep on thinking either eight or nine wins, depending upon like what breaks go their way and what breaks don't go their way. Considering the amount of talent that they had within all these five star guys and how what they have now, which they still have a decent amount of talent on campus. They just it's guys that they're just not used to seeing. Um, and so like, I think the floor is between eight or nine wins. And then of course, I think the ceiling, like you said, I agree. I think, I think it's a big 12 title. I think a big 12 title ceiling. 
I don't necessarily think they can make the Big 12, uh, the, the college football playoff, but at the same time, we don't know the landscape of what college football is going to look right. like next year. Like, you know, you have ESPN over there just like, like you, I turned it over to ESPN for one second in the morning, and it was like, man, this place is awesome. Why wouldn't you want to come play football at USC? <laughs> and, and, they, and then I look at, like, what's happening on the field, and it's a, it's three straight passes and a three and out, and there's, like, nobody in the stands. And, of course, like, you know, I've always said, if you want to be serious about football, you never really go west. I mean, like, that's, <laughs> that's just, just kind of like how it is. Like, the Pac-12 is not a football – the, Pac- the Pac-12 is not a football conference. They, they're, they are very unserious about football unless your name is like Oregon, right? Um, in Utah, Utah's, that'll be fun. Utah's like Kansas State on steroids, so I'm curious yeah. to see how USC is going to respond to that. Um, but it was just so interesting to see that, <laughs> like, why wouldn't you want to play here? And there's like nobody there, and right. they're going three and out. And yeah. so it's just hard to gauge within who's actually going to be good. Like, you know who's going to be good is, you know, Alabama's going to be good. You know that. Ohio State's going to be good. You you know the 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 typical guys years and year now that you can pretty much depend on will be in the mix for the college football playoff. You know Georgia's likely to be good and whoever else. Uh, but as far as the other teams in the Big Twelve, you got to feel good about OU's chances. You got to feel good about. I mean, like yes, did were players in the transfer portal and did they leave? Certainly, but did a lot of players stay? way more players stayed and they also brought in very talented players too along with the idea that oklahoma has recruited relatively pretty well for the last however many years since bob stoops is the coach they've been in the teens in this past year they were in top 10 and so it's hard to say oklahoma still isn't one of the teams to beat especially in the conference i mean and it, it's hard to say that oklahoma isn't the team to beat until they are not in the big 12 title game like last year you could argue they could have been they they should have been in the big 12 title game too if they would have put it together and had more people more invested in the program and in the games at the time and so like again like talking to texas folks they're like oklahoma is going to be in the big 12 title game until they're not is is, is their opinion and like it's it's true i mean tell like who else is going to be there and so, like, it's just really hard to gauge. So that's why I appreciate you kind of like your candor on it. It's like, yeah, it's like it's a spring game for sure, but we don't know much because it's a spring game. It's like preseason polls. They don't matter until games are starting to be played. Right, right. You know, and I mean, also just going by, I mean, kind of the, the practical aspects of it. Look at the schedule for you this year. I mean, you know, uh, Baylor comes to uh, Baylor comes to Norman. Oklahoma State comes to Norman. Kansas State comes to Norman. Um, I mean, a lot of the bet the best teams in the conference. Um, you know, those games are going to have at home. Um, you know that uh, the the funny part is that Nebraska game early in the season. Honestly, I think is uh, one that oh, you need to watch out because I mean, I don't. It's it's fashionable to make fun of Nebraska now and everything, but. Uh, that team was better than their record last year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for uh, a coaching staff that is, um, you know, pretty Im- I- I- embattled, I guess would be the best way to put it at this point, uh, a win like that early in the year in front of their home crowd, I mean, that could be the kind of thing that uh, they can use to really buy a lot of goodwill, Scott Frost and them. So uh, that is definitely one that uh, has me concerned. 
that that's a game that I've actually keep keep on thinking about in the back of my mind as the season is is gonna approach quicker and quicker. I mean, like we're about to head into May, and before you know, it's gonna be summer ball. That's a that's a team that I've got circled. I mean, they of course played the they they played the chew the clock game on OU last year in Norman and should have probably won. And you got Casey Thompson out there now, uh, you know, playing quarterback for them. And so I'm curious to see what they're going to be like. You know, I, I know they just lost one of their big defensive linemen to the transfer yeah. portal. Um, but still, I mean, like you said, the last two years, they've been in a lot of really close physical games where they just haven't been able to come out on top. And it makes you wonder. And so yeah. like, oh, you going up to Lincoln uh, this coming this in, in this fall, like what third game of the season? I yeah, think first is, road game under Venables, you know, I yeah. mean, it's, yeah, it's a t- that one, that one definitely is one where I think everybody's kind of laughing at it, but I, I'd be concerned if I'm an OU fan about that one. And and that's, that's one where that's a game where I'm glad that Oklahoma is really trending toward this idea of, Hey, this team, it needs to be more physical. This team mm-hmm. needs to be more disciplined because it was very clear Nebraska was just beating the hell out of OU in the trenches on both sides of the ball and OU couldn't do anything about it. And that's what led to, you know, all those like fourth and one conversions and keeping OU's offense off the, off the field and the Spencer Rattler stuff and all the booze and everything else (laughs) to be in between. Uh, Yeah, that's, I certainly, that's a game that I've got circled too, because like you said, they are better than what the record suggests, but that's all I've got. Do you have anything else, Alan? Oh no, man! I really appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, that's you know, that, I think uh, we kind of hit uh, all the big high points. So, but anyways, everybody listening to the podcast, thanks for listening in, and thanks for following us. I mean, Alan writes helps write at CrimsonCreamMachine.com, and like they are amazing think pieces, like really, really good stuff. He's always he's rolling his eyes right now, but like he doesn't want to give credit for himself where it's due but it's fantastic stuff a lot of stuff honestly we bring up in the podcast weekly podcast is sometimes often from alan's articles so i mean like because it's good content it's it's okay to it's okay to humble brag sometimes alan especially when you alluded to yourself being really effing smart earlier on (laughs) um but everybody go ahead and some falls on twitter at cc machine at j larry shields me i'm came robbie and ccm you can follow alan at at blatant homerism and you can follow steven at oh you update sb um thanks guys for listening we'll check you guys later and we'll see you in summer